few um, weeks or a month or two ago, Lou gave me a prophetic word. And just turn it slightly down. Gives me space to get excited later on. <laughs> Luke had a prophetic word. Don't know if he remembers it. He said to me, he saw me standing in front of, uh, yeah, at the pulpit. And at that stage, I wasn't yet sure what I was supposed to preach on. And uh, he said, but then as I stood here, God showed me. And uh, tonight that prophetic word came true. Because after everything here, every, after everything that has been said and done, and where do we go from here? And I really think that the, the way we ended with a picture that Hannah had of God, that actually just... Yeah, some gave me the gap to come into. <laughs> because if we have that picture of God, if we have that understanding of who God is, then nothing that He asks of us is too difficult. Earlier we heard about a family that went through a difficult time and they needed help. They needed people to surround them. They needed people to love them and care for them and help them through a difficult time. And that wasn't difficult for this family, the greater family, the church. It wasn't difficult for us to do that because of our understanding of who God is. It's not just, I mean, I know Francois is a great guy. And his, 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 what did he call it? His Afrikaner pant. <laughs> they're, the, they're the only guys that talk about a jean pant. <laughs> Francis is a great guy. But the church didn't respond the way they did. Because they are great people. They responded towards that family the way they did because we serve a great God. Because of our picture of who God is. And so tonight I'm going to quickly, just quickly talk about the most unlikely topic that you expected me to talk. I want to speak on finances. Amen. Come on, this church was rowdy just now. I'm going to speak on finances. Amen. Amen. I, I, I'm going to read in... Acts, Acts 2, just, just maybe unpack a verse or two, and then see what God says about finances, because finances is a difficult topic to talk on if you don't have a revelation of who God is. Once you, once you understand who God is, then, then that's actually, finances is one of the easiest topics to speak on. I want to say this. This afternoon we had a, a baptism. Well done, guys. Well done for putting your, 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 your flag on the mast and showing who you want to serve. 
thing did he say was Jared and, and Maze. Is it got that Maze? What an interesting name. They went through the baptism because there's something that happened in their lives at different times. I'm not sure when, a couple of weeks ago for one, and then for the other uh, at some other time. But for them to, you couldn't see what happened in their hearts. They got born again, but for them to give an outward expression of what God did inside of their hearts, they were baptized today. Do you get that? Do you understand why that was important? That, that baptism is an outward expression of something that happened on the inside. Now, if you understand that, then you will understand biblical finance. Because when we bring to God, we don't bring to God because we think it's a good idea. It's because God has done something inside of me. Because God has brought new life. When I give, it's an outward expression of something God did on the inside. It's got nothing to do with the actual figures. It's got nothing to do with what somebody told me to give. When we looked at on the stage here... Um, when, when, the, when the worship was so intense and, and we almost felt we didn't have any more words, somebody jumped on the stage and danced to give an outward expression of what God was doing on the inside. You see, when you, under, when you see God for who He is, when you get a grasp of who God is, then you get to a place where, you, where you, have, you have no other way but to express yourself in another way. And sometimes God calls you to express yourself with your finances. Do you know that, that the way, how you reason about finances, giving, how you think about it and how you reason about it, doesn't give any indication of your intellectual ability. It tells me what you think about your God. Sometimes we come with the most cutest stories. We come with the, the, the best arguments about is tithing an Old Testament thing or a New Testament thing. It, it's neither. We come with all these arguments and we think it makes us look clever. It's not about your intellectual ability. It's about responding in your spirit to the Spirit of God, the way we responded tonight, because tithing is as much worship as what we sang here tonight. And we need to settle that in our hearts. So I'm going to read a portion of Scripture that I think you have read often when it comes to giving. It says here in uh, Acts 2, verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now if you get that verse down in your spirit, if you get that verse settled in your heart tonight, truly, you'll walk out here a person that will spontaneously combust and just want to give to God. Here's the thing. We're looking at the church in this verse. We're looking at the church in its infant stage. And we're looking at the church in its purest form. There was no contamination yet. 
No Pentecostals, no Baptists, no, no Presbyterians. It was, it was a church in its purest form. No movement, nobody with an agenda, nobody that wanted to gain from the money that they brought in. The church in its purest form. That's the church we're looking at here. The Bible says, and they were devoted. They devoted themselves. And you can look at that little word, devoted themselves, in one of two ways. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Number one, you can, see, you can look at it and say that they accepted, they devoted themselves to accept what the apostles taught because what they were teaching at that stage were the purest gospel that we've ever had. That's the one way of uh, committing yourself, devoting yourself to the apostles' teaching. The other way that I want to suggest to you that you can commit yourself to the apostles' teaching is this, that the apostles were teaching and they took personal responsibility. They devoted themselves to studying the word that the apostles were teaching so that they could develop a first-hand knowledge of what God expected from them. And often, often we treat finances as a topic, as something that somebody else should teach me. We make studies of the prophetic. We make studies of signs and wonders and of healings. I wonder when last have we made a study of what God wants me to give to Him. They devoted themselves to understand what God expected from them. And we need to get to the place again, back to basics, to where the pure, where we find the, the infant church in their purest form, with no additions, no fingerprint of man on it yet. And in that place, the Bible says, nobody had lack. And they, they sold what they, their belongings and just gave it away to everybody and made sure that nobody had lack. If you look at Francois and Carianne, when, when they went through this, and they are going through a difficult time, but, but when they w went through this, they said that they had the longest meal train. And, and I hope that, 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 that you had the privilege of being part of that. I hope that you didn't miss out. I hope that you didn't feel, why should I make food for them? Surely they can make their own food. I haven't had food. I mean, we, eat, we have to settle for this. Listen, we need to get to a place where you understand that it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be involved in the kingdom of God. So when you ask me, when you ask me, as many people have asked me before, do you have to tithe? I said, no. You don't have to tithe. Please, uh, don't get a hernia. I'll finish my sentence. <laughs> you don't have to tithe. Because if you feel you have to tithe, you're making it a law. It's a privilege to tithe. It's a privilege to give. It's the, big, it's the starting point for a believer. It says here, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And all the apostles had to teach at that stage. They had no New Testament. They had no Bible. They had the Torah. And they had Matthew 28, 
verse 19 to 20. Let, let, I'm going to read that. I don't think I've given that to you guys. I'm just going to refine that quickly and just read it to you. Matthew 28, verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And yet comes. This is what, this is what the, the, the apostles had as that they could teach. Jesus says, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And I behold, I will be with you always. So all they had was, they had the Torah and whatever other, other uh, um, writings they had at that stage, Old Testament stuff, and they had what Jesus commanded them and instructed them to do. And that's why I say, at that stage, the church is in its purest form. Because by now, the reason why some of us battle as we sit here with the thought of finances, another thing to pay, another thing to give towards, the reason why we battle, because man has put his fingerprint on the teachings that Jesus gave. And you might have been exposed to some wrong teaching. And you've carried that viewpoint, and now you're looking at biblical finance through the wrong lens, and you, and you think you're right. But you could be wrong. So what, what did they teach the people? I can't go into all of that right now, but I can tell you this. They must have taught them how to be generous. They must have taught them something about Abram and Isaac and Jacob. Why? Because, because when they speak, they speak of the God of Abram. Isaac and Jacob. Now I'm not going to just, I mean, for the sake of time, I'm not going to turn to all of that, otherwise you're going to be here till midnight. But here's the thing. Tithing, the reason why I say tithing is not an Old or New Testament thing. It's, it's not one of it. Because you don't see tithing in the New Testament. You, you don't see it. The only tenth that is 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 in the New Testament, there's something that says about the tenth month, you've got to do this. That's the only tenth referred to in the New Testament. And people think that because tithing was a law in the Mosaic Covenant, that it's part of the Old Covenant or, or the Old, Old Testament. It's only part of the Mosaic Covenant. But there were, there were Quite a few other, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the uh, Adamic covenant, the in, or Edenic covenant, all those covenants had nothing, had nothing to do with tithing. tithing. Tithing was something that the law took from what these people did spontaneously and brought it into that. Let me show you. If you, go to, if you go to Genesis 14, you find Abram, he comes back from a war that God gave him victory in. And he, he got lots of loot. He got lots of stuff that is taken from the enemy. And he's grateful, he's thankful, and he meets somebody called Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was the king of Salem, king of peace, 
And for the first time in the Bible, it says he was a priest. The name priest is mentioned for the first time in the Bible. He's a priest of God. And when priest and king merged and was mentioned, tithing is mentioned for the first time. 400 years before the law. But here's what happened. When Melchizedek came to, to, to Abram, he brought him wine and bread. Now Melchizedek is a picture of Jesus. The, what's the last thing that Jesus did? Wine and bread. And then he confirms that he's a, a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. But what happens when Abram is confronted with priest for the first time? He says, I will give a tenth of what I have to you, Lord. It was a natural response to the presence of God. Nobody, you can go and search the Old Testament from Genesis to the first 14 chapters. Nobody had to teach Abram. It's got to be 10%. I guess, I guess the, the, the reason why it's 10%, because some of you would battle with 11.75%. <laughs> God just made it easy for us. So don't argue about the tithe. But when, when Abram was confronted with the priest, the priest of God, his natural response was, I want to give. I want to give something. I don't know what to do. I want to dance. I want to, I, I want to do. For some of us, for some of us, we will burst out into tongues when we pray and we worship and we don't know what else to say. We'll burst out into tongues because it's beyond what we can say. Giving to God is the same. There are times that we just don't know how. It's a response that comes when we encounter the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. Now, if you think that's a by chance, then you'll find that a couple of chapters later, I think it's about 2028 20, Genesis. And maybe I should turn there. I'm going to turn there because I, I think I, I'm going to turn there and finish there because time's flying. Genesis 28 says this. Now, now it's not Abram anymore. It's now Jacob. And I think God wants to use Jacob tonight as an example for somebody here. I think the key thing that happened and, 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 and Yaakov came up and he prayed with me at that stage I didn't, didn't have a clue where are we going because things have changed from where I was going to start. Um, and Yaakov said to me, you think this moment somebody uh, I'm not sure who, I think it was you brought the word about people who not who doesn't feel in place, or at home, or in family. Yeah. That was a key moment. And one or two people responded. But we felt that there were more people like that here. There are more. You might not have come to the front, but you still feel the reality of not feeling part. So here's the thing in in Genesis chapter 28, it says this. Verse 16. Now this is after Jacob fell asleep. And he laid his head on a stone. And he had this dream about the angels going up and down this ladder. 
says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep. And this is what he said. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Once again, a man is confronted with the presence of God. He's confronted with, with who God is. And he says the following, This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate to heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put up under his head, and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on, the, on top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at, at first. Now here's the part. Then Jacob made a vow. Once again, as with Abram, nobody taught him this. Nobody gave him the figures. Nobody every week had to, had to get, stir him up. It says this, And Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me, and, I will, keep, and, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth. Once again, the response of a man when he sees God, when he is confronted with the majestic presence of God. Now tonight you've been, you've been confronted with the majestic presence of God. I, it was tangible. As we worship, there were some here that felt we shouldn't stop. It was hard. How do you stop what happened here tonight? But there is a greater question. How do you walk out of God's presence unchanged? How do you walk out of God's presence with an unchanged mindset about what you do with your finances? Because every time man comes into the presence of God, something happens. The problem, the problem that we have with our language is that people talk about, I pay my tithe. You pay your taxes. You pay your water and your lights, but you worship God with your finances. You bring to Him. The, the electronic media has robbed us a bit of that moment when we actually bring to the storehouse of God. And then you might ask, but where do I tithe? Where your storehouse is. You try it tonight. You can try it. You go down to the, the bay, what's it? Table bay more? And you can eat at Panarotis and you can pay at the spur. <laughs> See how that goes down. <laughs> the problem is, the problem is, we use the long, wrong language. And, and we need to get an understanding, and if we had time tonight, we'll go into all of that. But yes, just here's the thing. The problem with thinking, there's no, <laughs> tithing is a biblical principle. But that's the place you start. The problem with thinking in terms of tithing is that once you've tithed, you think the other 90% is yours. It's not. That's where stewardship comes in. You are called to give a tithe, and after that you've got to steward the 90%. That's still God's. He just allows you to use it. And the problem with thinking that way in the old-fashioned way of tithing is that once we've ticked that box, I use my 
for internet sites that I shouldn't visit to pay for data. I use my 90% to, to pay for stuff that, that if you had to see me there, you'd be disgusted seeing me there. You see, giving a tenth doesn't let you off the hook and give you the right to waste the other 90% because actually everything is God's. I have to say this, I can't help it. When I, was, when I grew up, I heard my parents talking about he owns um, the cattle on a thousand hills. And I thought that was like in KwaZulu Natal, it's the only place he owned the cattle. Um, <laughs> I heard that he owned the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine. And, and I'm like, I couldn't get it together because I would hear them sing. I mean, I grew up an Afrikaans boy, right? And a colored Afrikaans boy at that, so my English wasn't that good. Okay, so, so um, I grew up hearing them talking about the, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but I couldn't figure out why God had only five chickens. After all of that, yes, because I heard my parents sing, Great is thy faithfulness. So let's get back, let's get back. I want to land this. <laughs> we find Jacob. <laughs> we find Jacob. Not part of a family. Let's bring it back to tonight. Jacob is on the run. He's deceived his father. Maybe, maybe something happened at home, and you're not in a family right now. He deceived his father to pretend to be his brother so that he can get the blessing. I'm not sure what happened at your house before you left, but it can't be that severe. He deceived his brother and took his birthright, and now he's on the run, and he's got to, he, all he has is a staff. And then God meets him in the desert. God meets him in a dry place. And God reveals himself to him and he says, to, if you will be my God, I will give you a full tenth of whatever you give me. And years later, he comes back to the same place. And now he has gone from a man with a staff to a man with two companies of people with him. And he honors God. Because God brought him into family. See, the lesson there, the lesson with Jacob at that rock, is although he didn't have family yet, although he didn't have breakthrough yet, he put the rock up as an altar, and he poured, he poured oil on it, and he set it up as an altar, although he didn't have a sacrifice yet. But the day God gave him a sacrifice, it became a fully-fledged altar, because he sacrificed unto his God. He might not have anything today. He might not have anything. But you might be like that red Indian that, ca that saw a, 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 one of these big tents in America, in California. Uh, out there in the outback, they, they, they had this big tent and they were preaching the gospel and this red Indian rode in on his horse. And he, and he, and he attended the service and he heard that, that if you want to serve this God, you've got to give. So he goes up and, and, and he's got his blanket that's on his horse normally. He goes and he 
He brings his blanket to the pastor and he says, Indian bring, brings blanket. And then he goes to his seat and he feels that's not enough. So, so he, he's, he's stirred a bit and he comes back with his rifle and he, and he says, Indian brings rifle. And he goes back, but his heart's not settled. He, he's got nothing else to give. He brings his horse and he says, Indian bring horse. But that's not that's really enough because something inside of him is, 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 is stirring. And in the end, he goes to the front and he says, Indian brings the Indian. Maybe that's where you're at, you're not. Indian brings Indian. You can only bring yourself. You see, maybe you might have nothing to put on the altar, but put a stake into the, in the ground and say, you my God. You are my God. And I will serve you with everything I have. And then when God blesses you, then when God gives you what you've been praying for, be sure to give back to Him what you promised Him. Because as I'm standing here, I've, I've got a concern in my heart that maybe some of us are battling financially. In this room, there are more, more people battling financially than what we can imagine. You've got more months than what your money, money can manage. But it's not, it's, it's, you're not battling because they, they short paid you this month. You're battling because you fell into the trap of the financial system of the world. And it's, it's, it's sucking you dry. And it could be, it could be that one of the reasons that you're battling now is that you've made vows like Joseph in the past and you haven't kept your word. It happens. It happens in the best of families. It could also be that you've just been ill-disciplined and not putting God first. And because of that, you're battling to make ends meet. And I wish I could tell you, like some prosperity teachers would do, but if you give your wedding rings now, things might be better tomorrow. I wish I, wish I could call up the, the, off, the offering box and say, guys, but you know what? Just take the person's next to you's wallet and then give like you always wanted to give. I wish I could do that. But there are spiritual principles in place. And I want to ask you, I've actually, as I, I, I pick up in my spirit, I'm, I'm not a big prophetic guy, but I'm just picking up. Luke gave me permission when he came to me, he said, even if you have something prophetic, say it. And, and it might not sound like good news, but there might be a person or persons here, you are in such dire straits right now. It might take you seven years of applying godly principles before you're restored. And you might ask me, what's the worth in that? Doesn't make sense. And you might be at the verge of giving up. Can I read a scripture to you? And I'm, I'm, I'm ending with that. Philippians. Philippians 4. 
If you're at the place where, where you don't feel you're in family, and to make it worse, you don't have finances, to make it worse, you, 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 you're tied up, you, you feel like Gulliver, tied down and you can't move. And you basically say, there's no way out of this. There's no way that can ever be restored. I want to read a scripture that actually are often misquoted and used out of place. And tonight I want to use it in its place. Philippians 4, verse 13. Paul says, because everything in chapter 4 up to this point is about finances. He says, I know what it is to have a lot. I know what it is not to have. I know what it is to be in prison and have nothing. But he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If the way seems dreary, if the way seems dark, if it seems like you're at the beginning of this 2023, that it's so dark, there's no ways that you can get out of this hole. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but then I need to allow Christ to strengthen me. I need to open my heart for Christ's input. I need to allow Christ to come in this darkest corner and I need to have obedience when He speaks to me. When His Holy Spirit nudges me in terms of sin, I need to deal with it. When His Holy Spirit addresses me in terms of ill discipline in my finance, I need to deal with it. And I promise you, you can do all things. You can even come out of this hole that you're in through Christ who strengthens you. Maybe just as a response. Maybe I'm not going to call people for it. Maybe, Rooney, where are you? You're here. Did you run? There. Can you just play something? I'd like that song, There's Freedom in This Place. Is that okay? Because I want us to, wherever you are, to ask God to forgive you for the vows that you've made and not kept. For there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For there's no condemnation who bring themselves to God and bring to the light which you've done in the dark. For you, if you've, if you've, if you've dishonored God in your finances, then this moment is for you just to bring it to God. But now you ask me, and I, and I think I have to just say this, What is then the New Testament pattern for giving? Acts 4 says, And the Holy Spirit shook the place, and they were filled with the Spirit. And once they were filled with the Spirit, what was their first reaction? Going outside, selling everything they have, and blessing one another. Generosity is the outflowing of the filling of the Holy Spirit. We think it's only tongues. We think it's only singing. But generosity, like I said with baptism, where baptism is an outward expression of what happened to you inwardly, generosity is an outward expression of what the Holy Spirit does on the inside of you. So the, the pattern for New Testament is if you don't quite understand generosity, 
Start with 10% or 11.75 if you want to. Start with that. But if you think that's where you have to end, you're getting it wrong. Because when these people sat down and they broke, they, they, they shared the word, they were devoted to the word, they also broke bread. And every time they broke bread, they were reminded that Jesus gave everything. The old mindset of tithing was broken because from heaven, everything came. Jesus gave it all. They would sit there and they would fellowship. Because they fellowship, they knew who needed what because they were in their houses with them. And they didn't let people live by themselves. They brought them into their families. The New Testament is about a culture of generosity. You can give until you're blue in the face. You will never outgive God. Don't be scared of that. Don't be scared that you're going to outgive God. Because he does own the cattle on a thousand hills and he's got more than five chickens. Just to set the record straight. <laughs>